Hey guys, how's it going? Welcome back to the show. Um, it has been a very hot couple of days here in the UK, so excuse the the get up. Um, I'm still suffering. I've got a huge fan next to me, so if if you can hear that, I'm sorry, but I've got to stay cool. Uh, thanks to everyone in the chat for being here live, and anyone that's listening or watching after the fact, either on YouTube or the Anomalous Podcast Network. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Now uh, we're. Uh, let me start again. I've been having a lot of conversations with people recently, and it always comes back to you've got to look at the history. And so what better way to look at the history than bring on uh, my good friend and one of the best in the business at looking at old cases, Mr. Sean Rush. Sean, how's it going, man? Thanks for having me, Vinny. I always appreciate talking to you. I am not one of the best in the business. <laughs> hey. We could argue about that. (laughs) (laughs) No, I appreciate it. I appreciate it, dude. I've spent uh, way too much time looking at old documents and uh, getting lost in a sea of crazy cases, uh, most definitely. And it feels like once you start digging, it's um, it's like I don't know if you've ever seen those Pringles commercials, um, but like you just can't stop. Once you start, you can't stop um, because each one there's something uh curious to it you know whether it turns out to be you know a a dud so to speak even those are interesting you know to to find out how they come to those conclusions and then you run into some of these cases that we'll get into today is the bentwaters is the lincoln heath case from 1956 that it's just like i had no idea you know how many like amazing unexplainable um you know sightings there have been throughout the course of time it's just amazing yeah absolutely it really man. Is. And, the, and the thing is is a lot of these old cases have got so many data points joined to them as well you know radar and all sorts of things and you mentioned the the uh, bentwaters lake and heath because i did a deep dive on this channel with dr david clark a few months back and it was all from the british perspective and we're going to jump into it from the u.s perspective which is amazing so we're kind of covering all bases there so, yeah, yeah. yeah, I'm looking forward to that, man. But I thought what we do to start off is obviously there's a lot of uh, language coming out at the moment with the IAA and the NDAA. So I just wondered, uh, we don't have to go too deep on it, but I just wondered how you feel everything's going this year, maybe compared to last year. And is it all going in the right direction for you? Uh, for me, so so far, so good. You know, um, the, the the one thing that, that sticks out to me um that's quite a bit different from because I've looked into, you know, previous congressional inquiries like in the sixties and, and all that and how basically Congress kind of got hosed a bit, you know, it all came, they wanted to do open hearings. Gerald Ford was pressing for open hearings in 66 and that's what he really wanted. But the air force kind of talked him into, you know, getting these scientists on board and scientists on board and, and doing a study through which, you know, we know is the Condon report, which wound up being a huge dud. You know, and but in the paperwork, they're like, well, at least it's something. So we're looking forward to this report, you know, and it's like, <laughs> you know, uh, but what this what I really like is uh, it seems like Congress isn't going to take that, you know, like um, because they first passed the original language. It got hijacked pretty much by the DOD and turned into the AOI MSG, which completely there was misinformation because they were. You put airborne in the title of of the group, completely leaving out, um, you know, um, aerospace, transmedium. transmedium. Um, but they're not taking it. 
you know, they're like, no. And they're stepping up the language even more. They're saying, hey, we got to look back to um, January 1947. And you actually have to do it, you know. Um, and we have to get all these people on board from the CIA, Air Force, you know, and the other groups, which which I think is, is great. They're staring uh, the crap right in the face and they're saying, no, we're going to we're going to do it the right way. Um, so hopefully it continues to go that way. Now, you know, if you're like me, sometimes you, you, you get a little short on patience, right? You're like, yeah. oh, and now we got to wait till December or whatever for this to get passed. And then when stuff actually going to go into motion and play, but you know, in the background too, that things are happening. Like this stuff doesn't just happen out in order. Like they're just sitting around and thinking about what kind of, ah, I don't know, what should we do with UFOs this year? You know, there's stuff happening in the background that is uh, helping write this language. Um, and, you know, to be honest, you have to be somewhat of a fool to think that, you know, compelling information isn't being um, communicated or, or shown um, behind closed doors that instigates stuff like this because what they're doing is very strong. It's very strong language and you don't see anyone really coming out against it. You know, you don't yeah. see it in what is a very uh, political world we live in these days. You know, you might get someone like this eventually, but you're not getting a bunch of like Democrats or Republicans or whatever saying, what a waste of time. We got this going on and this going on. And you guys are spending all this time on the CFO language. You know, it, it's pretty incredible. And that to me kind of further uh, laments the fact that something is up, you know, and, and I'm glad um, somebody is trying to do something about it, you know. Yeah. So. Yeah, I agree completely. And one thing, uh, I mean, I've not done a deep dive on the the current language. I'm actually going to do that tomorrow with with Katie Howland. Um, nice. I know you've Perfect done person to do it with. with yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I have been preparing, speaking to some people. And one thing that's kind of struck me is that then it it's not going to be another case of this time the public are going to get are going to get a load more information. It's, it doesn't look that way. It looks like they're, they're opening more secure channels behind the scenes for people to come forward and talk without fear of repercussions. So, right. you know, it, I think people still need to temper their expectations to a degree as far as what the public are going to hear, but, but it, just let it be known that things are happening and, you know, things are moving forwards behind the scenes. Would you agree with that? Yeah. And let's be real for a second. That kind of stinks, right? That there isn't something that's going to be like hey, public, you know, some, some sort of obvious, like, uh, you know, um, disclosure movement here happening like our goal is to get this information and freaking tell you about it that stinks that that's not more of a uh, a thing but you know also uh, maybe a lot of this stuff wouldn't happen if that was kind of the prerogative right like yeah. if it was like we're gonna tell you about it there probably would be uh, more of an effort to fight up against it. So it's kind of like a fine line that you have to walk. Like you have to do things for the right reason. Right. And honestly, the right reason, first of all, is uh, to protect, you know, beings of this planet, right. <laughs> our military, our pilots, our, our Navy men and women military um, pr protect that and make sure everything's okay. And if, you know, there are, you know, encountering these things and having mid-air possible collisions and stuff like that. So that's order number one. You got to take care of that. Make sure that everything is communicated properly so you can mitigate that as much as possible. So it's it's a priority process, right? You got to make sure things are safe. Safety is taken care of. 
then at that point, maybe you can go further and tell people about the things you're starting to find. Yeah, completely agree. And for anybody that hasn't watched it yet, go over to Sean's channel, uh, the link's below, and check out the conversation him and Jay had with Christopher Sharp and Casey Holland. Um, it's fascinating, and they really do go into quite a lot of information and details on on the language. Um, but let's not join. Let's not stick on that too long. I'm just going to give a quick shout here to my boy Benji. Thank you so much for the 4.99 donation, dude. Two of the best in the business. Hey, we do what we do, and we 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 do our best. That's that's all we can do. So, I appreciate that, Benji. Thank you so much, man. Um, right. Another thing that I wanted to just quickly touch upon is. Uh, the announcement of Travis Taylor as chief scientist of the UAP task force. So it kind of came out of left field a little bit and obviously a bit of controversy came along with that. <laughs> I'll just say straight what away to me, good? well, I guess so, you know, <laughs> we shouldn't expect anything else, but for me personally, everyone is welcome to disagree. I don't see a conflict of interest with the, his work on ancient aliens and the, uh, the secret of Skinwalker Ranch, but that's just me. I'd be more interested just to see what your take is on that whole thing. Uh, personally, I, I really like Travis Taylor. I think he seems like a good guy. He's obviously brilliant. Um, and I think he takes things, um, with, you know, I think he does things the correct way, right? He's not committing to anything just because he's on ancient aliens doesn't mean he's coming out and saying these things are for sure UFOs and they're aliens from Zeta Reticuli, or they're all coming from this, you know, place in Skinwalker Ranch to help a show. Like there's not. <laughs> You know, he's saying, I don't know, you know, and, and what else do you want from somebody that's looking at something, honestly, that's recorded with multiple sensors that doesn't fit within the prosaic realm of technology that we have or technology that's owned by a foreign country that they know of. They honestly, he honestly doesn't know, you know, and so he's telling you the truth Um. And, you know, let's be frank, a lot of people like uh, uh, ancient aliens, maybe, you know, and I've even said this before, but a lot of people in the community don't care for ancient aliens because of, you know, it um, goes off the road a little bit with some of the theories. But, um, you know, if you watch it, they're never saying that's what reality is. They're just having uh, people try to expand their mind to think of different things that could be. You know, and they're always saying, you know, they're they're never saying this is fact. You know, aliens built the pyramids. They're like, could it be? You know, and if you want to have any chance at fathoming any of this stuff at all, you have to start asking yourself, could it be? You know, I had a conversation with a good friend of mine the other night at dinner. And, uh, you know, I'm always afraid to talk about what I do with, with people that aren't into this. But, you know, they bring it up and they're super respectful about it. You know, and they actually said, you know, yeah, you know, honestly, I've actually watched ancient aliens before. I like it. And I'm like, well, they, you know, and I'm kind of even fighting back. Well, they kind of have some crazy theories sometimes. He goes, yeah, but they're never saying this is what it is. They're just mentioning a lot of facts about history and a lot of different unique things. I'm like, yeah. But regardless of that Skinwalker Ranch, like people are allowed to do different things with their personal life. And we don't have to you know, judge everything that they do. Uh, the guys work for, I think it was a DOD or something since he was a teenager. Right. Yeah. Um, I forget. It was like two PhDs, three masters, something I can't keep up, but the guy's obviously brilliant. 
You know, he's, he's obviously a very smart person. And they, he's even said it like um, they didn't hire him because he was on ancient aliens. You know, that wasn't on the resume that he turned in, <laughs> you know, <laughs> they brought him in because of his educational background and obviously how brilliant he is with this stuff. So um, I'm all for it until proven otherwise. You know, I think it's wrong to to make a ne negative judgment towards somebody without seeing anything, you know, that that's negative and just starting out that way. I think everybody deserves a chance and he's definitely put time and effort in to get that chance. And, you know, I can't, without seeing his work, I can't really say anything else. And even if I did see it, what am I going to say? I'm not an aeronautical engineer. Um, but, um, you know, my instinct is I like the guy and he seems like a good dude. So I'm all for giving him a chance and giving him the, the benefit of the doubt. I like watching him on Skinwalker Ranch too. I think he brings a great, um, uh, scientific perspective to everything and he tries to do that the correct way as well he's not going in there saying you know there's grizzly bears coming out of portals i swear to god you know he's just saying these are the things we're measuring and this could be what's possible you know we don't know but that's why we have to continue to study it and that's what this whole thing is about is we don't know so we have to continue to study it you know and that's the mindset that we need and it's, it's other people that keep using things like aliens or, you know, other things that they think uh, would uh, diminish the um, respectability of the topic. You know, they keep using that to try to bring this down or make it seem goofy, but they're not going to win, you know. An unidentified ob flying object or aerial phenomenon is called that because it's unidentified. You know, yeah. if we thought it was alien, we it wouldn't be unidentified, you know. So I don't know. That's kind of a long-winded answer, but I'm I'm down with Travis until proven otherwise, sir. So that's how I roll. Awesome, man. I, I agree. I couldn't agree more. In fact, I think it is a case of, especially whether you're saying UFOs and UAP, especially in a conversation with on Twitter, for example, where it's difficult to get your point across with you know limited characters and the nuance is not picked up uh, picked up on correctly a lot of the time and people do just think if you're talking about ufos and that that it is aliens that you're talking about and it's i mean i hate the word aliens i don't use it <laughs> it's it's just it's not yeah so yeah we have we have immigrants from all over the world in these spaceships flying around the country <laughs> aliens from mexico aliens from canada all over the place <laughs> you know <laughs> no but yeah i mean and it's these words that are used to pigeonhole things right like let's be honest like things are more complicated than we think right yeah um and and you're only gonna shoot yourself in the foot by sticking to like one word like that for for what something could possibly be that you barely understand you know yeah totally so I appreciate that, man. But look, we're here to jump into some cases. So I think we should just do that straight away. And we are going to start off with the 1956 Lake and Heath Bentwaters case. Um, that was a joint operation between the Royal Air Force over here and, and the US Air Force. Um, and it was around, I think it was two or three bases, if I'm correct, if I can remember. And that was obviously RAF Lake and Heath, RAF Bentwaters. And I think there was another one involved as well, uh, possibly. But um are you no, at the right, right place? Are you at the right place? I can share the screen uh, and then I'll yeah, let, you, uh, sure. let you jump straight into uh, what you've come up with. Sure. Yeah. There we go. Uh, 
Well, yeah, you're right. There, there were were three areas that um, picked this stuff up on radar, and I thought what I could start with is this uh, sighting letter uh, that was written by a United States Air Force uh, retired um, person. Um, I don't have the information of who that is in here, unfortunately, um, but it it really gives a good um, take on what happened on August thirteenth, nineteen fifty six. And so it starts just with credentials. I'm retired, 20 years service, um, 1967 from the USAF. I've placed my name, rank, serial number at the top of the page if you want to check authenticity. He's an air traffic controller throughout uh, service career and utilized radar for the last 16 years um, in the control of air traffic. I won't bother listening to the types, blah, blah, blah. So um, if you go to what I'm going to go to is so this it's pretty much just a brief synopsis, but, and basically what happened is there were multiple sighting reports. Um, one sighting was on radar was clocked at 4,000 miles per hour. Um, others were 400, 600 miles per hour. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to get to kind of, um, I guess you could say the juicy parts. <laughs> so do it. yeah, they sent interceptors after, and this is about nine 30, 10 PM. Uh, and they sent interceptors after these UFOs. So I'm just going to start here in the first paragraph. I also hooked to my local Air Force Base commanding officer, my unit uh, commander on my switchboard, and there could have been others hooked in also that I was not aware of. I repeated all the facts known to this point and continued to give a detailed report on the target's movements and location. The target made several changes in location, always in a straight line, always at about 600 miles per hour, and always from a standing or stationary point to his next stop at a constant speed. So we have hovering there and uh, no buildup in speed at all. These changes in location varied from eight miles to 20 miles in length. So it's dropping out, popping up somewhere else. What does that remind you of? David Fravor's account, Tic Tac. And it sounds like there's some instantaneous acceleration there if it's just a constant speed. Yeah. And no thrust or buildup, right? Going from zero to 600 like that. Um, So that's definitely an observable. So, after he says, after I imagine about 30 to 45 minutes, it was decided to scramble two RAF interceptors to investigate. This was done, I believe, by the third air force. Um, skipping to the third paragraph. We emission, we immediately issued headings to the interceptor to guide him to the UFO. So they see this UFO. They're trying to, you know, have him intercepted. They're telling him where it is. The UFO remains stationary. It's hovering. Uh, this vectoring of the intercept aircraft continued. We continually gave the intercept aircraft as heading to the UFO and its distance from the UFO at approximately one to two mile intervals. Shortly after we told the intercept aircraft, he was one half mile from the UFO and it was uh, 12 o'clock from his position. He said, Roger Lake and Heath, I've got my guns locked on him. <laughs> then he paused and said, where did he go? Do you still have him? We replied, Roger, it appeared it he got behind you and he's still there. There were now two targets, one behind the other, same speed, very close, but two separate distinct targets. So to me, I mean, you could start to say, is this thing psychic? How did it know to move and get behind him? But right when he locked on with his gun radar, you know, mm. um, he was ready to shoot at this thing. And that's immediately when it decides to get behind him. That's pretty intense to me. Uh, the, it goes on to say the first movement by the UFO was so swift circling behind the interceptor 
missed it entirely. But it was seen by the other controllers. However, the fact that this had occurred was confirmed by the pilot of the interceptor. The pilot of the interceptor told us he would try to shake the UFO and would try it again. He tried everything. He climbed, dived, circled, etc. But the UFO acted like it was glued right behind him. Always the same distance, very close, but we always had two distinct targets. Um, between about 200, 600 feet, probably closer than that, we would have gotten one target, both aircraft and UFO. Okay, so it goes on uh, some logistics there. Um, then this gets very interesting. It gets to the uh, emotional aspects of it. The interceptor pilot continued to try and shake the UFO for about 10 minutes approximate it seemed longer uh, both to him and us and you know if anyone's had a ufo sighting that is how it feels it goes by so fast but it feels like it happens in slow motion so i found that interesting uh, but he continued to comment occasionally and we could tell from the tonal quality he was getting worried excited and also pretty scared uh very interesting stuff right there um, and so then he uh, said he was going to return. He was running out of gas, basically. And that's in this yeah. paragraph here, paragraph three. And the thing started fading away. And isn't that interesting? He goes on the intercept. When he decides to stop the intercept, the thing's like, okay, forget it then. <laughs> like, oh, what the heck? So it's a very uh, interesting case. You have instantaneous acceleration, possible um um psychic aspect going on there um and uh, later in this report um and i forget where it is again here in this report i didn't write it down unfortunately but his his engines started malfunctioning um and you have radar pickup and you actually have visual pickup as well um and i'm gonna get to that so i'll just quickly go through these things you got any questions so far you know, no, I'm just it's, it's it's bringing back memories from when I covered the case with David Clark from the UK perspective. Um, you know, there were people all over the base while these intercepts were happening, listening in in the the little room where the pilots gather. Well, and they were all listening in to to you know because they could hear the tone in his voice of everything that was happening. Well, and um, yeah, for anyone that again hasn't seen that, go back because we play uh, some recordings of these people being interviewed. I think the interviews were done about 20 years ago because remember this is from the 50s so uh, right. yeah for context I'd go back and listen to them for anyone that's interested in the case because it really is fascinating amazing amazing um the next thing I wanted to hit on just a little bit is this point number 8 here and it's by a Dr. Whipple who actually years prior suggested he's w- was with John Hopkins University and he actually suggested um, and this is, I believe it's a CIA document where he suggested a sky patrol, uh, where there's cameras all over the place trying to pick up these things in kind of the more hotspot areas. And so Dr. Whipple is in on this case here. He stated that as far as the report at hand is concerned, no obvious physical solution is suggested. He deplored the inadequacy of the typical UFO report as a scientific document. He further stated that the nature of such reports is not likely to change and urged that if the Air Force was serious in its attempts to resolve this problem, both scientifically and in the public mind, that the Air Force do more than continue its passive investigational attitudes. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So I, I found that uh, pretty strong. 
pretty strong words by Mr. Whipple, who wasn't really a believer in UFOs either, but he did believe in in the scientific method and figuring things out. And he yeah. knew that this was obviously an issue. Um, just real quick, there's there's a couple of like uh, one sheets here as far as you know the things, some of the things that happened. Uh, this page is is extremely interesting to me because in the end. Um, the United States Air Force said that this was this whole case was anomalous propagation, so radar uh, malfunction, and um, the pilot seeing the visual was because they saw Mars. <laughs> All this is happening because somebody saw Mars and the radar is malfunctioning. Um, well, right here you can see. I don't know if you can see my cursor here, but uh, I can. Yeah. Okay, the second paragraph here. The GCA operators making these radar sightings were of the opinion that malfunctions of the GCA equipment did not cause the radar sightings. So the people that actually work this stuff say, no, these things were working. And further in this report, you can see that they actually did checks, you know, to make sure that everything was working properly. And in fact, that was the case. So. Um, it's always interesting to me when the people who aren't working this equipment and aren't as used to working this equipment, you know, try to tell the operators what the deal is. Yeah. Didn't you say the operator at the start, he'd worked there on them for 16 years as well. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's, yeah. You know. And then here you can see um, speed estimated at more than 4,000 miles per hour. So, there and there was, there's multiple tracked. A third UFOB, which is what they call them, UFOB at this time, was wow. reported uh, as tracked by Bentwaters. So, and then so you've got was, Lake and Heath yeah. radar and Bentwaters radar picking them up. So it's not just one radar. So it can't be just one radar gone wrong. No, like yeah. You've got, you've got two separate air bases picking them up, then come on. And if we scroll. <laughs> up here a little bit uh, i'll go back up here for a second uh in this letter he actually talks about a third that picked it up and the name is just eluding me it starts with an s oh here it is skullthorpe okay yeah yeah so and then there's other interesting things here so he writes a little drawing of stuff I don't know, i'm not a radar operator but well, I believe we had one in the chat earlier. Mr. Christian Thompson worked on radar, the Danish. Was it yeah, Danish Air Force, Christian? I might be wrong. Right. So maybe he understands it. So, yeah, yeah. And there's a group of 12 to 15 UFOBs from uh, 0.8 southwest, eight miles southwest of Bentwaters to approximately 40 to 45 miles northeast of Bentwaters. It's interesting how they're going at a speed to 80, 125 miles an hour. Right. Interesting. <laughs> and then up to 4,000 miles per hour. That's, uh, I think that's what you call, what's the word? Uh, an observable? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's 1956. You know, I mean, that just says it all, really, doesn't it? I mean, yeah, I think so. Nothing was going 4,000 miles per hour then. There were people in the UK that, that just passed it off as balloons again. That the reason why the interceptors couldn't get past them is just because the balloons were moving in the wind and that. But that doesn't account for radar or anything like that. So, no, again, yeah, it just doesn't make sense. Yeah. And balloons aren't going to 
you know, uh, be stationary. And then all of a sudden they're going 600 miles per hour yeah. and disappear and pop up 20 miles uh, somewhere else on the radar. Yeah, exactly. So here on this page, you get a little bit of the visual sighting uh, indicated. A sergeant indicated that his attention was first called to the object by his position, size and unusual color. Uh, he was also aware that the Bentwaters uh, GCA was tracking unidentified flying objects by radar at this time. He described the object as spherical and the size of a pin held at arm's length. Uh, he cited only one object, which was described as amber color when first observed, later changing to bluish white. So, um, yeah. And here we say the object was in sight for approximately one hour, during which time it intermittently uh, disappeared and reappeared. Just like Mars Mars does that, right? Yeah, Mars is blue, isn't it? And bluish white sometimes. Come and on. It, and it disappears <laughs> and reappears all the time. <laughs> That's a big Mars quality right there. So there's, di there's dimmer switches on Mars. <laughs> So here we see the sergeant, uh, second paragraph sergeant stated that the 12 to 15 unidentified objects were preceded by three objects, which were in a triangular formation with an estimated uh, thousand feet separating each object in this formation. Um, yeah, so it's just a little rundown of uh, the different sighting. So there's three altogether, I believe, the 12 uh, to 15 objects actually... Uh, so those were seen and then they all formed it into one bigger object. Interesting. <laughs> Could you imagine that? Uh, those are some crazy balloons <laughs> just melting right into each other. So, I mean, that's the gist of it. Yeah. No, it's interesting. And these are blue book files, right? Right. Yeah. yeah. Straight from project blue book. And so, this fell, fell under one of the, was it 700 cases that were not solved in Blue Book that kind of just got, you know, ignored at the end? No. Of it? Well, Blue Book said this one was um, anomalous propagation. And that was their final report on this case. Mm hmm. Wow. Mm hmm. So you have visual, you're seeing it visually, you're seeing it on three different radars. Um, you're vectoring people into it. It's disappearing, reappearing. It's chasing the interceptor. <laughs> and ah, anomalous propagation. <laughs> wow. You know, and, uh, you know, I was uh, read uh, a recent article by um, that um, oh. Ryan Graves uh, contributed towards uh, where he was talking about not getting any uh, feedback from authorities on their reports. They send in a report. They don't get any feedback on it, you know, and, and a part of this case that stuck out to me uh, was the fact that this person who wrote the letter mentioned how when he submitted this information of the sighting, he never heard a dang thing about it again, you know. So, so weird. we have uh, 70 years, you know, of, of people submitting reports. This person, this interceptor pilot was, was afraid, you know, for his life. And they don't hear a, a, a darn thing about it again, you know. 
Yeah. I'm like, hey, how you doing? <laughs> you know, are you okay? <laughs> <laughs> you know, that'd be a start, wouldn't it? And the thing is, in you know, in other pages of this report, you can hear they don't want to tell the public that they don't know what it is. Yeah. You know, and that's what this whole thing is about is unfortunately a lot of this is uh, a lot of the report is just like, like this, you know, like sure. you can barely read it or like it's, it's really too bad. But in these little sections, there are little sections where you can read how, you know, UFO societies and other publicity artists would make of such an incident. It is therefore of great importance that, you know, they're, they're so concerned with looking bad. That's their only concern is looking bad. And that was so, from Dr. Heineck as well, man. Yeah. Wow. See right here, point 11. The Lake and Heath report could constitute a source of embarrassment to the Air Force, and should the facts as so far reported get into the public domain, it is not necessary to point out what uh, what excellent use the several dozen. I don't know what it says after that, unfortunately. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that first bit says enough, really. Jesus. Why would anomalous propagation be embarrassing? Yeah. You know? Man, that's that's wild. That's yeah. absolutely wild. It's um, too bad, really. I've got to bring this comment up. I've just seen it from Jay. So <laughs> I feel like I just walked in on my girlfriend hanging out with some hot guy with a great accent. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jay, don't be sad, I'll brother. S- I'll see you tomorrow, honey. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we we can share. Come on, <laughs> sharing is caring. So, um, yeah. Did you have any other cases that you think we could we could look over at all? Uh, anything that you've covered before? Anything from the sixties? Maybe I'm happy to stick with the fifties. Sixties. Um, I do have something um, pretty interesting, actually. Let Let's see if I can um, bring it up here. One thing I will just say about that uh, the Lake and Heath Benwalls case is that in the British National Archives, there a lot of the documentation for that case was destroyed. So wow. some some decades ago, so there is some stuff remaining, but a lot of it genuinely was destroyed, which is really really unfortunate because that might have given us some some really good weight uh, weight of data as well. Yeah, and that is really too bad. That is awful. Yeah, uh, but that's that's just the way they've done it over here. There's you know a massive percentage of of the older case documents have have genuinely just been destroyed. Which is uh, often, yeah. Yeah, because, uh, you know, I think it's still underestimated um, how important those could be. Especially now, you know, and we're looking at this stuff. And here's kind of this document I'm going to show is kind of hits on that point a little bit. So this is actually an FBI document. Okay. So this is more of an um, uh, administrative document. It's dated July 29th, 1952. And this wow. is a really good one. And I was going to save it for my show, but I'm doing it on years. <laughs> <Just> <laughs> but uh, so it's a memorandum um, from uh, uh, Kay here to Mont or whatever subject flying saucers. Now, keep in mind, July 29th, 1952 is like Washington, D.C. sightings. Yeah. Like, this is just happened, right? 
So we have purpose to advise at the present time that the Air Force has failed to arrive at any satisfactory conclusion in its research regarding numerous reports of flying saucers and flying discs cited throughout the United States. And the details, Mr. N.W. Philcox, uh, the Bureau's Air Force liaison rep, made arrangements through the office of Major General uh, John A. Sanford of the Air Force. Uh, Director of Air Intelligence, U.S. Air Force, to receive a briefing from Commander Randall Boyd of the current intelligence branch. So this guy's going to get he got approved through Sanford to get a briefing by this Randall Boyd um, in the Estimates Division Air Intelligence regarding the present status of Air Force research, air intelligence research into the numerous UFO reports, blank saucers or whatever you want to call them, blank disks at the time they called them. So this is a kicker. Commander Boyd advised that Air Intelligence has set up at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, Ohio, the Air Technical Intelligence Center, which has been established for the purpose of coordinating, correlating, and making research into all reports regarding flying saucers and disks. He advised that Air Force research has indicated that the sightings of flying saucers goes back several centuries and that the number of sightings reported varies with the amount of publicity. He advised that immediately, if publicity appears in newspapers, that the number of sightings reported increases considerably, um, and that people start calling in um, with their sightings several months that they had pre- that they had several months previously. Commander Boyd stated that these reported sightings of flying saucers are placed in the three classifications. So they went into the different classifications. But the main point here is. Air Force research has indicated that sightings of flying saucers goes back several centuries. That's crazy. How do you research several centuries worth of sightings? Um, well, you got to read the old books, I guess, and stuff, right? <laughs> like uh, yes. Jacques Vallée did, did some research into that. And there are some... Um, in some blue other blue book administrative papers, um, they use valet uh, stuff in some of his research and his sightings back in the 1800s and stuff, and actually do like um, like a like a graph basically um, and mark influx of sightings and decreases and stuff going back to the 1800s. So, and that's from Anatomy of a Phenomenon, I believe they used for that. Right. So. Um, but so he's going there and whatever he's looking at, it's it the person who's briefing him or whatever is telling him that these sightings go back centuries. You it's know, wild centuries. But yet so were the sightings back then responsible for anomalous radar propagation? It's a great you know? point here by Robert Coford, maybe from the Vatican. It's certainly a good idea. Good air. Yeah. possibility yeah and another mm-hmm. thing that really stands out in these old cases that from both of the ones we just looked at is that there's so much data there imagine if these cases happen now with the systems that we have i mean the amount of data that, that we'd get nowadays with the, the more high-tech equipment the age of six right. on the on the ships and things like that it would be, right. be through the roof and i'm sure Amazing. they are Right. Yes, I'd imagine so. And this is the thing we we hear about it that they have this data, and 
we just don't have it in the public domain. Uh, and it does frustrate a lot of people. I understand that it's sources and methods and, and things like that. And But I'm willing to play the long game on things like that, you know, as much as I want to see data, probably more than videos sometimes. Uh, yeah. You know, you have to understand that. Yeah, it, but it I mean, videos, you know, in the end, I feel like no people, unless they have their own experience, some people just like you're not, they're not going to believe it. They're either going to think uh, somebody, you know, hoaxed the document, no matter who tells them as it wasn't, no matter who released it, or they're going to say that the video was doctored, no matter who tells them it wasn't, you know. And if the government tells them it wasn't, then the government's lying to them because they're <laughs> using a special weapon. And, you know, they just want to put this out in the open. Like the whole thing I don't get about a special weapon is like, or Lou or whoever else being, you know, like uh, misinformation or whatever. Like, why would they come out and talk about it to begin with? No one was. Yeah. No one was. So why would you put this in the spotlight? You exactly. Know? I yeah. think it's a little more sneaky if you just don't say anything. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you think. <laughs> you know so i don't know how many more uh documents you want to look at or whatever i put another hey, one in let's there go let's do it this one so the pacific uh there's so many sightings in the pacific if you just go to the blue book archive and uh, search pacific you'll get over 200 some uh sighting reports which is a lot um the number one state i don't know if you can guess in the united states for uh, sighting reports is uh Ohio, believe it or not, really? with okay. over a thousand. Yeah. Wow. Um, but there's so many states that don't even get um, to, you know, 80, 90, 50, 20, or whatever, Pacific, 200 some. But this one they evaluated as a weather phenomenon, which, by the way, the radar operator here says it was not a radar. <laughs> it was not a weather phenomenon. But check this out. Two large targets picked up on radar. One estimated to be five miles long <laughs> and the other two miles long. Targets about two to three miles apart held targets from 90 miles ahead of starboard oh, 230 degree relative on starboard operator side. Yeah. Wow. Um, so, yeah. You know, that's pretty big. But uh, the radar operator states emphatically, not clouds. <laughs> so what kind of weather phenomenon would go for five miles? That's, That's crazy. I'm not sure. Might need and a it says 31,000 feet. <laughs> I mean, I... <laughs> That's wild. What can, that, you know. That's why you get hooked into these reports. It's like, holy crap. You know, what is this stuff? Um, and then this is uh, one I uh, shared, I believe, on uh, Twitter not too long ago. So these are just going to be like quick little one. Cool. You know, Let's do it. Cheaters or whatever. Um, this one. Yeah. So this is off the coast of California in the Pacific. Once again, object blinking and in flight from horizon to horizon in 20 seconds at speed of over 10,000 miles per hour. <laughs> at low altitude, does not conform with any known object or phenomena, case regarded and unidentified. 
so but here this is interesting um brilliant white flashing light at low position so i think later in here i i read that oh maybe it wasn't this one bright flashing white light you know what that reminds me of though is this uh pyramid reported to have about 400 uh blinks within a minute right oh from the from the russell the 2019 yeah so that made me start to start to look at some of these and one of them i couldn't get to i couldn't get that high i didn't find any that high but i found one that blinked about 300 times per minute you know off the pacific in the same area so that's pretty interesting to me around the same time as well um no no this was you know blue book time yeah not 2019 but no um, sorry i meant about about the sort of early 60s yeah yeah so here's another one there's so many of these 1963 Pacific again, unidentified white blinking light in flight from West to East under observation from military air aircraft duration, less than 15 sec seconds, uh, altitude of object unknown, rapid transit across sky. It's literally what we just described. Wow. <laughs> Traveled through a considerable arc reports of this nature listing, uh, altitude as unknown, considerable height, so what's interesting here, such items as intensity and manner of disappearance are omitted from the service format. Service is uh, NORAD. That's how NORAD um, documented their unidentified objects. And so, why would they omit stuff from a report? Oh, it's not omitted from the... It's from the... Yeah. Hmm. I don't know. You have to ask the omitters, I guess. <laughs> I don't know, but it's interesting that NORAD is uh, involved with this stuff. Another interesting thing about these is you can see who they send these to, right? 1963. Who's getting these UFO reports? It's not just the Air Force. It's also, uh, we have NSA 7 here, DIA, DIA, Army, maybe Joint Chiefs of Staff, I'm not sure, JCS. Wow, that's, that's a lot of groups. Yeah, DIA. Hmm. Uh, that's <laughs> OSAP, my friend. In 1963, they're getting UFO reports. So all sorts of people had their hands on this stuff. Pretty interesting. It is, man. And this is like you just said. It's like you come across things like this when you do deep dives and you start you know, seeing similarities and, and patterns almost in some of the cases from some of the eras and stuff. I mean, I did it a long time ago. And boy, I was up late many nights. Yeah, it, it, <laughs> it's addictive, man. It can really draw you in. Oh, sure, dude. You should look at my phone. It has more screenshots of military documents <laughs> than I have my wife. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> at least you're honest, man. At least you're honest. So I think you know, that screenshot. Thing... I'm like, oh, I'm gonna share this one later. Or. <laughs> yeah. you know, this is no, what about your screensaver on your phone? Is that just like uh, your best document? No, that's actually set like an amp I had six years ago. Okay. And I've never I've never changed it. It's <laughs> fair enough. That's For fair enough. Reason. I was expecting yeah. to say, oh no, that one's my wife. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Well that well, there's the hold screen and then the screensaver. 
or the the screensaver in the background. The background is my wife. Yeah. Yeah. And another place that, you know, if people don't really want to dig or start digging in the documents, go and read Graham Rendell's books. You know, he's covered World War Two, but also the Pacific um, and other things as well. He's just a machine when it comes to writing about these old cases. And a lot yeah. of them are from the British perspective, but he does also and has also uh, done deep dives into U.S. documents from multiple archives um, and repositories as well. Can't recommend them enough because not only do you get the information, but he points you in the direction of where he got them from. So he gives you a trail that you can go and research yourself. Um, so, yeah, I can't yeah. recommend that enough. Um, yeah, no, I completely agree with that. that some of his his work, to me is some of some of the best I read because he's um, uh, just the details, you know, or just the facts, you know, he's not trying to lead you to believe it's this or that. He's just giving you the facts, you know, and um, you're left with kind of an obvious conclusion, <laughs> which is there's unidentified objects flying around and we don't know what they all are. You know, some of them defy explanation and that, is the root truth of all this you know so anything else from that people have beliefs people have their feelings i'm not to say that they're wrong or that or that they're right but there's one thing that we should all really be able to agree on based on the facts and it's that there are objects in the skies um that, and we don't know what they all are you know absolutely completely agree evade explanation so and it's yeah and it's been clearly happening for a long time we've got yeah. like some of the stuff we've just looked at some of the stuff you obviously cover on your channel an awful lot you know they can't yeah. all be just brushed aside with simple prosaic explanations they are genuine unknowns and that's okay and like we, it is yeah. and we're not saying it's aliens yeah <laughs> well some be. people are but <laughs> yeah but I, I mean i think i'm like you right. we'll just say they genuinely are unknown and uh, you know maybe even a majority of these old cases we'll never know but right yeah. that's the kind of sad part is some some of these i read i'm like i'll never know but looking at old cases can help with researching new cases as well yeah so even if you can't solve that old case if you see correlation to something that's happening in a more recent case then that just helps so that's kind of a bonus for me personally. What's uh, what is like one of your favorite cases, or what's a what's a good case to you that helps tie history to you know the present? Some of the cases we know about that happened somewhere recently. Um, I mean, I suppose that like I mean, it's a it's a lame answer, but the Lake and Heath because you know yeah. when I did that deep dive with David Clark and I actually got to hear the testimony from some of the people that were there, that just I mean, there's only so far you can go with documents, and it's, it's quite a long way. It's, it's a great resource. But to hear corroborative, you know, hear voices of people that were there, yeah, that, that's just incredible. It you shakes know? you. You know, Especially like once when you... it's – sorry, go on. Well, I was just going to say, yeah, once you hear their testimony and you hear them actually tell about it, talk about it, like um, if they're lying, they would be – like in movies making millions and millions of dollars these people are would be such good actors it's unbelievable because you can feel the emotion in them you know you can hear it 
you know, and exactly. it's, and then there's like on my website, if you go to my website, uh, witness you go to research tools. Um, there's one that's uh, audio testimony that takes you to the, the archives. And there's all sorts of recordings of people giving their testimony, uh, pilots, uh, citizens, all sorts of people. And sure, you'll always run into some people that it's like, mm, I don't know about you, sir. <laughs> you know, uh, but there's so many. The majority are giving an honest account of what happened. You yeah. know, and even Sergeant Moody, who spent most of his time um, uh, researching these UFOs for Blue Book in the Air Force, when he retired, a, an article came out in the paper where he flat out said that 90% of these objects are reported by sincere good people. You know, and that's 90% of. You know, whatever twelve thousand reports. Yeah, you know that's insane. It's a lot of honest, sincere reports, and you know what they say: it only takes one. It only takes one of those. You know, to be something really bizarre, that could shake everything up a bit. You know, totally, man. Absolutely. <laughs> I've got a really good question here from Yone. Sean, you've read so many documents. Have you ever read a document and figured out halfway in that you've already read it? <laughs> um yeah i think so yeah definitely i'm starting to get to the point where you know my my research puts me in the same place again um but it doesn't happen very often and that's kind of why i still do it right because i'm always put into a different spot where i'm like i had no idea i had no idea wow this is incredible you know? That's the thing. It's a never-ending thing. You can always find something new and something ex exciting almost, you know? And there's so many ways to go about it. Like uh, Ryan Graves' uh, testimony in this article I, I read, I posted on Twitter yesterday about uh, like a child's top, like a child's spinning top, you know? So I go to the archives and I'm like, let me check this out. I'm going to look for other accounts where it talks about a spinning top or like a child's top. And lo and behold, there's many accounts like yeah. that. You know, and that's the kind of stuff that can bridge you from then to now. It's like, what are the chances that people are still seeing something that looks like a, a spinning child's top? Come on. That's not, that's <laughs> not like just a circle, you know, or something. That, that's a specific image and, uh, you know, phrase to use. What are the chances? You know, it's pretty yeah, incredible. Absolutely. Definitely. Well, mate, thank you so much for jumping on with me. Um, I, you know, we should do this more often, find more cases yeah. and, and dig into the history because, you know, it, it's been a while since I've done it on a grand scale and I, I keep finding myself these days now slipping back into it. So, uh, you know, it'd be great to do it with yourself. Yeah, so. I would love that, man. And, and you're always welcome to come on my show more often too, you know. Thank you. Um, the thing about like research and, you know, I think at least this is how I get sometimes is where I feel the pressure to have like a guest and stuff all the time, like a guest. And then you run out of guests. I'm like, what am I supposed to do? <laughs> but that, that's, uh, that's the cool point about having friends in, in doing research. Like we can just talk to each other, dude. You know? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, in the conversation. Well, I get that. I'm, this is not what I'm doing, though. I actually genuinely wanted you on as a guest. So. <laughs> and a friend, of course, that helps. But, you know, this wasn't like, I appreciate it. you know, I, I, have a, I have a guest tomorrow as well. So it's not like I needed it. But I really wanted to, to jump into some, some older cases. It's been, been on my mind so much. So I think it's yeah, important that awesome. to talk to each other, you know, and yeah. I, I really enjoy it. 
every time. And I always learn something new from talking to you. So Thank you, man. I, I think this goes for everybody. A lot of the people on Twitter as well is you may have opinions on that, that are completely different amongst everybody. But going and talking to people that are involved in something that you're talking about may actually help in some way. I, you know, I feel it always helps to talk to the people that are involved in, in cases, no matter what, whether they were witnesses or military or, or whatever, just talk to them. Yeah. It, can, it can always open a new door or shine a new light on a part of the case that may change your mind somewhere along the way. So, so reach out to people, talk. It's, it's really important and it, it does, it goes a long way. So that's yeah. my little piece of advice. Completely agree, man. I look up to you for sure, Aww. you know, and I'm proud to say you're my friend and watching you do all the stuff you do out there. So thanks, man. I can't wait to continue to watch more episodes of uh the show that you're doing out in Colombia. Oh yeah, thanks man. So cuz that's been really good so far. So I appreciate it. And uh, yeah, thanks to you, thanks to everybody that's watched and supported that show. We've had a lot of positive feedback. Um awesome. yeah. On that note, thank you to everybody in the live chat for a great conversation. I'm sorry if I didn't get to all your questions. Um I'm going to be back tomorrow, so straight after today back tomorrow with Katie Holland and we're going to be going over sort of the NDAA, the IAA and all kind of government related uh, aspects of the phenomenon. So awesome. yeah, come and join in everyone. But for now guys, take care and I will see you then. Bye-bye.